Welcome to the Cannabis Coffee Hour with your host, me, Rob Cantrell. Oh man, I got an exciting episode, a great episode, an American actor, a classic, Amer a legendary American actor. He was in the movie, The Warriors. Uh, he was in John Carpenter's The Thing. He's been in movies with Al Pacino. Uh, he's a, he has a great acting studio right in Manhattan. He came up in the 70s and 80s and 90s. He's just, in terms of art and acting in New York, this guy is a legend. Please give it up for Thomas G. Waits. <sighs> I'm imagining millions of fans yeah. louding me with praise. All these stoned internet people are going to be like, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love the Warriors. I yes. watched the thing. I took bong hits and watched the thing last night. That's my movie. <laughs> That's Windows right there. That would be a scary movie to watch high. I, I know. I did. I, I, you know, actually, I'm not high right now. Well, I had a little bit of a roach in the shower this morning. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of cool. But I did some research on you this week, which was so much fun. I got to watch. I rewatched the Warriors all the way through. Uh, without any interruption, and I watched the thing, John Carpenter, because I love mm. John Carpenter. Me too. And I love Walter Hill. One of my favorite movies that I have is Escape from New York. Like I always had. Uh, and then I found out, and I love the Warriors too. But the Warriors was even gr grittier and more violent. You have a crazy story, Thomas G. He plays. He plays your character's name in the warrior was Fox, right? Yeah, the Fox, yeah. The Fox, and his goal in the Warriors and the team, the Warriors, he would go ahead of everybody. He was the foreseer. He went the hard route, the solo the route. Scout. He was right. the scout, man. He, this, this guy is my, uh, he is the, the Sherpa. He is the <laughs> Sherpa of the New York art scene. So Thomas G. Waits, where does it, where can I start with you, man? Tell me about your ride. Tell me about your life. Okay, um, so I'll try to do it in 90 seconds or less. I, I grew up uh, outside of Philadelphia in a place called Bristol, Levittown, right on the border there. It's sort of a blue collar steel mill town. And I went to 12 years of Catholic parochial school. Uh, and I, it was not a great neighborhood and I was learning how to fight and play sports and I was headed in a wrong direction. I was, a, I think I had been, the cops had been to my house three times by the time I was 13 or 14. So I was headed in the wrong direction and the universe as it often does steps in and gets me hit by a car really badly i you wow. know, broke both my legs my kidney uh spleen was ruptured kidney damage uh concussion uh lacerations over my entire body but the bad thing was i really snapped my femur in half so i was in at 14 i was in the hospital for nine months in traction <laughs> and that's where they put a steel rod for you anyway you, you'll appreciate this uh, you know, terribly painful. And after about a week or so, I 
Like back then, they used to let you smoke cigarettes in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so they would. What year are we talking? Is this sixties or seventies? Yeah, you... this is sixty-eight. Wow! Right. Oh man, the summer of love was right it's... around the corner. Yeah, the summer of love was happening from my hospital bedroom window, and, and you were a delinquent kid that got hit by a car. Yeah, and the nurse would come and give me an injection of Demerol at night, and I'd light up a cigarette, and I would just, wow, right? <laughs> yeah, man, so, Demerol and Marble Reds probably go together. <laughs> that's oh, right, Marble Reds. So the doctor comes in a couple of days later, and he's like, wait a minute, you're giving this guy way too much Demerol. He shouldn't be in this. It's, it's been 10 days or whatever. So the nurse looked at me and realized that I'd been fooling her every night by pulling the alarm and being like, ah, I'm <laughs> and she looked at me and she went, you know, you ought to be an actor. And a light went off over my head. And I thought to myself, well, I can't, I'm not going to be able to play sports. And who knows, maybe then I started watching movies, then I started reading. And I started identifying with characters. And then the ultimate moment was when my oldest sister, Kathleen, took me to the drive-in in my body cast. I was laying in the back seat to see Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, wow. And that hit me in my soul. And I wept for my entire life. I wept for my future. I wept for my past. I wept. And then I made a decision and I went, that's what I'm going to do with my life. So the next day I managed to get a copy of Romeo and Juliet to my house. And I memorized the entire balcony scene, both characters. I can still do it to this day. Wow. And I used that to get into Juilliard and it got me out of Levittown, which was, it's a bad place there. Bristol, no, dude, I can I can uh, totally relate. I was born in Northeast DC in 72, right in the right in DC, DC. And mm -hmm. then we moved. My dad uh, worked for the mayor, uh, Walter Washington, the first African-American mayor of DC, but he lost mm. his job. He was young, got a lot of power, got some got some swagger, but then mm. he lost his job. We moved down south and he started working at a junior college in Buena Vista, Virginia, which is four hours down south and in the Appalachian wow. Mountains, like hardcore rednecks, like nobody went to college. None of my friends' dads went to college. It was all football. And then the factory was the Bluebird buses and everybody worked at the Bluebird buses, all the, all the you know. So yeah, just to get out of that type of scenario and I can relate with you with you crying and realizing, cause that's a scary moment as a man. It's a man moment to know like, it oh, is. this is what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. And that's exactly. scary to find that out when you're 14. Yeah. When you're, yeah. I, 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 I peered away from it until I was 26. I finally broke down and went towards it. But there is that point where you're like, am I crazy? None of my friends are doing this, is this? Mm -hmm. And then, Back then the arts was seen as almost gay and you're like, am I, you know, it's like you have all the, especially if you come from an East Coast blue collar town, mm. you have to navigate mm. so many different emotions even just to get to that decision, which yeah. I think, and then that decision made you, you know, Shakespeare is hard as shit, you know? <laughs> Shakespeare is hard to, to, to memorize, but it's so good. I, 
I, I can. Oh, I don't think that it's hard it. to memorize. I mean, mostly because it's written in iambic pentameter, which is five beats and five stresses per line. Da dum, da dum, da dum, da dum, da dum. You know, now is the winter of our discontent. And because it's written in that rhythm, which is your heartbeat, actually, bum, 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 bum. It's so much more easy to remember because it flows. Yeah. And it opened up. It opened me up and, it, you know, I got a scholarship to Juilliard at 17 and um, wow. I stayed there for three years and then got kicked out. And then I started working uh, right away. I got kicked out in May, and by September, I had my first equity job as an actor. Wow. It was rough up till there. From May to September was brutal. I worked, I did any job I could, you know, delicatessens, sweeping out dead rats out of restaurant basements. I mean, whatever I could do to scrape together. I was literally homeless. I slept on a park bench one night. But people would let me stay on their couch. You know, they get sick. I of know, that. I know. I lived in a hostel for a year. I lived in a combined. Uh, you know, I've been on couches. I've lived yeah, yeah. in the back of rooms. I, I've done the. I've done the hustle, and that hunger. It, it's maddening because, uh, especially with show business, there's no. You know, there's no. Sometimes you get to a point where you got it made, but for comedy, there is. It, it, for me, it's been a slow, gradual, but a very bit. Like even the more success I got, the more dangerous it seemed. Like now that I look back at it, I'm like, whoa, like that was almost too much at one time. Um, yeah. yeah. But to be a working it. actor, like, you know how hard that is. And to get into major films like The Warriors and The Thing, which people are still talking about to this day, is just like, does that ever blow you away? Like, Oh my God, I was a part of well, this. Well, I feel horror. like about the luckiest guy in the world. I mean, you know, how many actors that have done so much better than I uh, are in two cult films? You know, uh, I mean, it just, I just got lucky. Um, the Warriors, you know, was uh, a, a very troublesome experience because I didn't get along with the director very well. And uh, he ended up firing me. And so in retaliation or whatever, I took my name off the movie, which was a stupid error in judgment. But I was a kid, you know, I was drinking a lot. I was getting high all the time. I made a lot of um, ill-advised decisions. And it's very precarious because at that point, you know, 23, 24 years old, this guy looks like he's going to hit it big. Um, he's making these like... Uh, radical decisions taking his name off a major pick and paramount had just put me under option for a three picture deal and i said basically i basically just i didn't just burn bridges i blew them out of the water you know dude yeah i got thrown out of all I, i've i've been where you at but at 23 i felt felt the heat at 28 but to be at 23 in your second major film like you're talking studio if people don't know like in terms of show business, movies trump everything in terms of power and money. So if you get a three picture deal, especially in the 70s and 80s, you're you're taking care. I mean, you're you're looking really, really pretty. You're looking good. Yeah, you're yeah. looking good. Unfortunately for me, I had the sense to accept my firing as a need to look within. So I went into psychotherapy. 
Oh, I nice. started studying karate. I became an avid long distance runner. I, I changed my game. I was like, the problem is lack of discipline. So I became the most disciplined and still today I'm fairly disciplined. Um, so I tried to use a negative and turn it into a positive. And I did try to make amends with Walter and, you know, he was pissed off that I took my name off, but he sort of let it go. And, you know, we're okay now and everything's good. And a lot of the guys are still alive from the Warriors. So we get together and do these signings and we have fun. We have a laugh, you know? Yeah. I saw the how thing, the Rolling Stone did a really cool. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. That was a big event, but the thing was a totally opposite experience. John Carpenter is like the funnest guy. He just creates an atmosphere of, you know, fun. He's just he's playing video director. games back in 1980. What's that? In 1980, he's playing video games on the set. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and beating the machine. <laughs> and then they're like, hey, John, we're ready for a shot. He's like, okay, wait a second. Ding, 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 ding. And he beat him again. You know, he's a, he's a character. But yeah, he made it a lot of directors, fun. Walter Hill and John Carpenter, they seem almost in your age group as well, right? Like, are they just They're a like couple years older? Five than years you older are than me. Time? Yeah. They were young, five, 10, maybe. John just turned 70, and I'm going to be 70. He's going to be 71 January 16th, and I'll be 66 January 8th. So, yeah, we were in close proximity. Walter is a bit older, I think. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, Walter's gone on to make some big A-list films uh, with big movie stars. And, you know, it was a very- Including um, yourself, including yourself, my man. Yeah, <laughs> I looked at, I liked, I liked both of those directors' tone and film, and I find them exciting. And it's very minimalist and cool. Walter actually, just for the listeners, goes on and he directs, uh, does he do Escape from New York or that's- No, that's no. John Carpenter. He does Walter 48 hours. 48 hours. He does 48 hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, which is like to do a drama comedy, that's maybe one of the best. Like in terms yeah. of that cheesy buddy cop comedy thing, 48 hours like nails it. Like yeah. nails it. Like so I agree. good. Um I agree. Uh, because the two cops are completely different. The actors are so different, but it shows this really gritty underworld. I mean, yeah, he had a, he had a good, uh, yeah, he had a good vibe. But uh, the thing is a hut is a, is another thing like that. Both of them used music. Were they both musicians? And I know you're in a band too. You do also do music. Yeah. Thomas Q.H. Project. Um, I just sent you uh, a, a video of my friend, Clark Middleton that passed and uh, I did a video of his song that we recorded and yeah I'm a musician John is a musician I don't believe Walter is but he obviously has really good taste in music in the city is a great song for the Warriors I mean I think that uh, Joe Walsh did a terrific job with that yeah, man, that's the Eagles. To close out, that's one of the best. Uh, I love credit scenes. There's something about credits, the rolling of credits in music. There's a nostalgia. And now that I'm meditating, it's. I think it's a lot about coming home or mm. a, a sense of coming home or a sense of transition. But 
One of the better, like cooler ones is, is the Warriors at the end. They just show Coney Island and the gang walking away, mm -hmm. but the music mm -hmm. kicks in and it's uh, the Eagles. And, uh, and it's a cut that's not really on another album. And it's kind of at the height of the Eagles' power when they got commissioned yeah. to write this, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was at the... At the they were going to use um, another song. I can't remember what it was, but because when I... When they... So they sent the movie to me to say, okay, you were supposed to have top billing and now, you know, you've been cut down considerably. So uh, we're going to send the movie to you and you tell us where you think your name should go. And that's when I took my name off it. But <laughs> my, the version of it that I saw, I think they used Springsteen's Promised Land at the end. Oh. Which was interesting. And, and that was one of the things I really liked about it. And then they ended up using In the City, which was even better. Uh, you know, um, but it's But a I can see why it. Promised Land, like in the, yeah. the Eagles is a very California band, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's Hotel right. California and the Warriors. I mean, the, the Warriors is a New York film. It's going to go down as one of the best New York films of all time. Definitely. In my it's opinion. a seminal moment in film history. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just to use the Eagles, but I see why they were leaning towards the boss, you know, because of Jersey and, you know, it just like the tri-state area has got to hold it down. That would have been, that would have been interesting. If Bruce had done the closing song, I might not have taken my name off the movie. <laughs> Just because okay. I'm such a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Were you? Did you did you follow him from the beginning or was it born in the USA post? Or did you see no, him no. coming? From the beginning. I saw him down the Jersey Shore when I was a kid. Oh, wow. And, yeah, he was playing with the E Street Band in some dump, some freaking dive somewhere. We ended up. And this guy, I was watching this guy on stage and he was playing uh, probably one of the songs from Asbury Park and he was playing a lead on his guitar and he broke a string and he went over to the side of the stage and changed the string and kept playing the lead. Oh, wow. And I thought to myself, this guy's gonna, this guy's gonna be something someday. He's, he's just, and then uh, I had the great good fortune to meet him several times, once while I was doing the thing. And once um, I was doing a movie called Clan of the Cave Bear up in Vancouver. And this was after Born in the USA had been released. And I got to go backstage and meet him a second time. And he, he was a very gracious man. Yeah, he seems you know, down he, to earth. Yeah, you, you know, he, he like Al, some of these other superstars, you know, uh, I'm sure Tracy Moore. Yeah. So many people are feeding off of them. Yeah. So many people are making millions of dollars just by virtue of the fact that they know the person that it gets difficult for them to tell who's real, you know? Yeah. Uh, but Bruce was very down to earth. And, you know, I sat in his dressing room and I asked him about a song that he played. It's called the dream song. And it's an old, he's like, oh, I didn't write that. He said, it's a Max Weinberg song. Elvis Presley did it. But um, I took it and slowed it down and turned it into a ballad. And it was so beautiful. And he sat there and taught me on the guitar. Like, what key do you, what key? And he knew exactly what key would be perfect for my voice and sat there and taught me every change. And at one point, like, 
there's four chords in one measure. Mm -hmm. So you have to go G, F sharp minor, A, G, A, D, all in the same, you know, it's like really, and you, you have to do it to get the flavor of the song. Right. And it was very, this is after playing for four hours. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To hit somebody yeah, up after the show. Nice that is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And uh, I went to see him on Broadway and uh, wrote a letter to him, but you know, I don't expect to hear, but you know, these people are so big. Like we can't comprehend how much money they generate for so many different, you know, um, avenues of, of income that there's agents and direct and you know producers really hard to navigate yeah to be around super famous like a lot I think lately you know a lot of it is me um, with my meditations and stuff is being content and being content with everything I have and I am so for content. You. And I've had so many fun gigs and just talking with you Thomas for a kid coming out of Virginia like I could have easily got, taken Oxycontin at the wrong party back in the day you know yeah, I could right, easily right. not be an artist doing his thing I got a kid I got a great life so but when I witnessed that super fame there is a just the ego man we see it with the president like we see how dangerous and how hard it can be to even the best person, to have everybody coming at you and want it, you, you, you just learn, it's hard to trust anything. So it, it, you do have to, when I'm around those people, I'm, I put on really soft gloves. Yeah. And if it's important to the situation, then I talk to it. If it's not, yeah. I keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because everybody wants something from them. Yeah, it's sad. You know, I mean, you know, can you get Al Pacino to do my movie? I mean, are you crazy? You know, what, what do you think I am? I'm just an, an actor with him, but I would be deluged with, you know, I still am. You still am. It comes down to, I've been doing this 20 years and not as long as you have, but it does come down to relationships. Like, yeah. I went through the whole agents route and all that and the big Hollywood, we're gonna make you super famous and you're gonna be a gazillionaire. We got it all covered, Rob. And you know, nobody has it fucking covered. Uh, nobody uh, but you. Uh, anybody but you, at the end of the day, <laughs> they're all trying to make their bills. They all got an ex-wife, they all got mortgages. That's right. Uh, they all got their shit going on. So they're just trying to, they're just trying to fill a hole. You're just trying to, they're just trying to make the next move as we all are. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I just appreciate not being that famous sometimes. Like I, mm -hmm. I like it, but it's kind of helped me see the top and be like, that's hard, to, especially at a, I think of Freddie Prince Jr. and some of these mm. younger comedians that got so much at an early age and your John psyche Belushi. can't handle that. Like the brand with like Nirvana that leads Kurt Cobain, like, to get shot into pop culture, everybody's talking to you and you were just a dirtbag weirdo mm. a year ago. It's a, right, it's right. a weird thing to navigate. Right, right. I mean, John Belushi, you know. Did you John know John was, Belushi, Tom? Did you ever run with him? No, I, I was at a party once with he and Bill Murray and that was the extent. I just watched them, you know, pulling around. I, I didn't really know him. No, I didn't. Yeah, you I kept it him. cool. 
But that was kind of at their height of SNL. Was this like an 80s New York cool apartment actor scene? Yeah, it was some it was some big club and it was like a Christmas party or something. And I mean, it was madness with a capital M. <laughs> Robin was there. John Belushi was there. And, you know, they're just partying so much. And like, I never um, really got in. I never really got into drugs, but the drugs were just, it was just like, if you didn't do drugs. Check, check. So prevalent. Yeah. And, My you know, first... since then, Go ahead. I think we, I, I think that since then we've really, you know, changed that. Mm. Very much so. It has become very, you know, powerful force in helping people recover from addiction and uh and we have a lot more awareness i think television and movies have brought a lot what was that great movie michael keaton was in uh, birdman no 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 it's a long time i think it was called getting sober oh yes and like i thought wow they're really michael keaton who is not an alcoholic uh was brilliant in that part but it brought a lot of attention to the illness the disease yeah alcohol we didn't talk about that in the in the 80s you know nobody everyone was oh. like well, let's have fun no it was all it's budweiser just, big titties van halen man yeah, they were selling right. beer and titties all day long beer and titties was being sold to american youth from the 80s through 98 man i'm telling you like alcohol, absolutely alcohol and cigarettes i was drinking by the time i was in bars in dc when i was 16 i was drinking bourbon when i was 14 uh Weed kind of saved me. I started smoking pot and kind of opening my consciousness. And I just dropped alcohol when I was 25, 26. And San Francisco and cannabis was just kind of in stand up. I did my art, I did mm -hmm. my <laughs> cannabis, and uh, but it's not the best and it's not for everybody. But you kind of came up in a weird time where I think alcohol and cocaine are completely connected. And like mm -hmm. all these bars, they all ran on Coke. And mm -hmm. the 80s kind of went from, you saw the 70s, which was open consciousness. And you first saw acid and the mm. Beatles and, and, you know, cannabis. And, and that was bringing people together and different cultures together. And people were opening their mind. But then somewhere around 78 to 84. Crack. Crack and Coke. Coke just dropped, especially on crack. show business. Especially. Yeah, crack. Crack changed everything because the poor people were like looking at all the rich people doing coke and going, how come I can't do that? So the Jamaicans invented crack. Yeah, and it was like the poor man's cocaine, but no one had any idea it would be so highly addictive and destructive. But you could be a millionaire and if you're a crack addict, you'll be broke in a year. Yeah. You know, it's really sad, but that's part of, you know, what we came up through and well, I'm older than you, and I've been sober now uh, almost well, 16 and a half years. And um, well, that's the best decision I ever made. I'll tell you, my life was just, it was going nowhere fast. And all of a sudden, you know, if you have the courage to face yourself and face your demons and take it one day at a time and do the 12 steps and listen to your sponsor and help another alcoholic you can be cured this obsession to drink for me it was drink 
uh, can be lifted from you. And then you have this like amazing, you were talking about how great your life is. I have this amazing life. I mean, I have. So I met your kid. I met your daughter at the t one time we hung out and I could tell you were a good dad. I was like, this kid's cool. <laughs> Like your daughter oh, you was met cool. my Michaela? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, she's a cool chick. And that must be that dad's <laughs> cool. Uh, but so you did it, you know, and you know, and I know that's like, you know, the icing on the cake. You know, life is yeah. such, as we go through COVID and all this stuff, like it's made me realize, I mean, everything else is icing. Like just being is the big deal, you know. That's it. Be being able to take a breath. Yeah. Just to breathe, how fortunate we are. And, you know, as horrible as COVID is, and it's horrible, I had it. I got, oh, shit. I got infected with it. And, well, my mentality, because I came up and, you know, like, let's beat up the biggest guy. Now, I was like, as soon as I heard about it, I'm like, bring it. If you're out there, mother, bring it. Yeah. I want you. I come get me. And sure enough, two days later, I got it. And I was so sick. Oh, shit, Tom. Huh? 103 oh. temperature, uh, 12 rounds with Mike Tyson. It, it felt like Mike Tyson punched every joint in my body. Holy shit, man. And this is what I did. And I hope people hear this because I've helped several people with it. So I was really sick. And my doctor's like, well, it hasn't gotten into your lungs yet. When it does, we'll admit you. And I'm like, fuck, I'm looking at. So this Ecuadorian witch called me up. And she's like, Tom, did you sick? Yes. I 94. I never get sick. Do you want to know why? Why? Go get two gigantic pieces of garlic and buy oregano oil at the health food store. Oregano oil is the most vile tasting garbage. You, I've had it. I know exactly where you're going. Okay. I so it. I took two chunks of garlic, quarter size chunks, chewed them, swallowed them. The entire apartment smelled like garlic. <laughs> I chased it down with some ginger ale, another piece of garlic, some oregano oil. And that night the fever broke. My sheets were drenched. And I was chattering. My teeth were, blah, 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 blah. and I saw. I had hallucination. Like I saw other worlds going on. And then I went to sleep that night, and I woke up, and I've been perfect ever since. Oh shit, Thomas! Thomas, you, yeah, you were really close to dying. <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah, I had a friend, one of my best friends that I played in a comedy jazz band, died of the flu at 26 in Oakland, oh California, God. with no health insurance, just like one of us, just a goofball doing comedy, playing in bands, didn't have health insurance, kind of living in, in, in his mom's basement, kind of not, just like kind of out there doing his thing. And it was uh, 2005, and yeah, it's no, the poor these guy. bugs are no joke. Yeah, poor guy, poor fam. My love goes out to Dan Crawford. If anybody's listening, Crawdaddy, uh, the saxophonist, painter, comedian, one of my best friends. It's uh, life is 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 such a gift. And I mean, it's hard as shit. Shit goes down, but if you can get to a point where you can work from a natural, that's what's great about being an artist or trying to be or whatever you call it. But lately, I'm trying to make decisions that are more natural. You know. And when you learn to breathe, 
that's I'm just trying to tell people because we're so addicted to all this internets and all this stuff. If you just take the time to get to your true essence, which we all have, it's just like right there. I don't know if it's spiritual or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, if you could just quiet your mind and block it out for a minute and try to make your decisions from there. Uh, well, a lot of people try to get to the mind through the mind, but you can't get to the mind through the mind. You can only get to the mind through the body. Yes. That's why running, yoga, exercise, you know, whatever you have to do to get your mind to sit still. And the only thing that does it is being completely out of fucking breath. <laughs> and then finally, your mind shuts up and yeah. then you can be quiet. I'm yeah. a big Wim Hof uh, proponent. I don't know if you know him. Yes. W-I-M-H-O-F-F. -F, they call him the he does the man. breathing exercises. Yeah. And you can tap into I'm totally into him. I'm going deep on Eckhart Tolle. And love I've been, I love Eckhart Tolle's stuff about consciousness. And then I've been going. My new thing is. Uh, it's been really helping me. And I hate being spiritual or my new thing is like there's nothing less godly than talking about God. Like the minute you start talking about spirituality, like you're ruining it. The same thing with yeah, comedy. Yeah. The, the yeah. more you talk about it, the more yeah. you're fucking ruining it. You know? <laughs> you're like stepping comedy. all over it. You're not letting it, uh, you're not <laughs> letting it take its place. But, but you might know this book and this book has always helped me that something I've been tapping into. But it's a, uh, you know, it's just uh, self-help uh, the way. I mean, I, it's not. I, I promise everybody, it's not. Uh, it's not to. Uh, what was it? Uh, Who wrote it? Lao Tzu. Oh yes. Do you know about Lao Tzu? Yeah, sure. And it's it's very pacifist philosophy. And it's called The Way, and it's uh, Lao Tzu. Now, there's another one, The Warrior's Way, which is all about like taking your enemy out and all the things of yeah, power. Yeah. Whereas Lao Tzu is more working from a natural place and accepting the whole and being a part of the whole. Like, mm -hmm. we all have our roles in the universe, and my role is to be Rob Cantrell, and yours is mm -hmm. to be Thomas G. Waits. And That's it. And uh, you just got to play it all out and see how it goes. And, you know, like Nietzsche is one of my favorite philosophers. His deal was fate amore, love your life no matter what. Yes. And this guy was sick, sick, physically sick, so badly. And yet he wrote up until the end, you must even learn to love your pain. Yes love your pain as if she's your mistress. I mean, the depth of his, his last moments supposedly is very difficult for him to walk and he was up in the Alps because he'd been kicked in the chest by a horse. He had insisted on joining the army for the second time to fight, you know, one of those millions of Prussian, Austrian, whatever the fuck war, they're always fighting over something. And he insisted that he wasn't going to be just a professor at a college. He was going to go to war. You know, it was his duty. And a horse kicked him in the chest and he got dysentery. And the poor guy was so sick the rest of his life and nobody wanted to read him. He'd lost all popularity. And yet at the end of his life, he's barely walking this path with a woman 
that was a friend of his and she was way ahead of him. And he said, wait, wait, do you know what I know now? I love the people that don't know. And that was the last thing he was recorded to have said. Wow. I love the people that don't know. Because he was very anti-religious, you know, anti-Christian. Yeah, I know what he's talking about. Well, in essence, you know, there was, I remember there's a guy, I just said, give a shout out. When I grew up in this little redneck town, there was this, the king of the town was Richie Seacrest and he had a Jeep and he would just ride his Jeep up and down the mountains and he played football and he was cool and nice. And he was just like the king of the town, but he ended up dying. You know, it was like drunk driving, 80s thing. But I talked to my brother and I'm like, that guy had so much freedom. He had so much, he didn't know. He didn't even know how free, how open. It was before the internet. It was just like, like there is a sense of, I, I believe in not overthinking things in the wonderment is where the magic is. If you I could agree. just stay right in the middle and be like, oh, wow, New York's cool and I'm sending mm -hmm. in an audition and I'm trying this next Oh, yeah, thing. and where I was going with that COVID thing, as horrible as it is, you have to look at it, and I hope I don't offend any of your listeners, but without COVID, we would never have gotten rid of this maniac in the White House. <laughs> I hate to say it, it's horrible, and He's I- not out been... yet, that's what scares me, dude. He's yeah, not out yet. He's, He's a... gonna go. He... He's gonna go though. There's, there's, there's just constitutionally, it, it's inescapable. The secret, if, if worse comes to worse, the Secret Service come in and lift him up and just carry him out of there, and that's sure. what they'll do because he's not the president anymore, and he's gonna have to. He got you know, voted he's a out. Bad man, and he's very destructive, and he's been very bad for. Well, anybody that makes under ninety-seven thousand dollars a year, he's been very bad for them. Oh, yeah. Uh, and plus, he has no moral character whatsoever. I mean, he's the worst person to be a leader because he has no, he doesn't care about anyone. I mean, yeah, people, I people are dying. Now. He sees it easier because we've seen ego assholes. We've seen we've seen like it's it's almost not even him. It's his ego. Like it's like, yeah, it's almost oh, he not just doesn't want to let go of, you know, it's the golem precious. He does not yeah. want to let go of it, you know, and it's like, dude, you got to let go of it. Nobody gets to control it all. Like it's just the gig. You know, he just needed to be punched in the face once. <laughs> One time, and he would not be the asshole that he is right now. Dude, Someone that's coming from the Warriors. The Warriors <laughs> need to take a, take a, take a piece <laughs> off Pop him up. But to think about, I know you had a problem with all the violence in the Warriors, and I think the Warriors was a great film. I mostly like it from the cinematic, tonal. And I thought your character was great. Just the shots were awesome. But there was a lot of violence. Like, I kind of see where your younger self was coming from. Yeah, because, you know, we came up in the 60s and 70s, you know, with Love and Peace. And when I talked to Walter about doing the movie, I didn't know that he had all this violence. I mean, it was in the script, but it wasn't as graphic and detailed. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, I thought we were making a movie about a love story between a guy and a girl. And uh, he didn't really need me to tell him that at that moment in my life. But I told him anyway. And... Um, it got me fired. Uh, I knew somewhere in my subconscious that this movie would promote violence. 
it would make violence look like, you know, you're too young to remember, but in the seventies, you know, we were easing into a kind of harmony with one another. They were making movies about, you know, coming home and the damage of the Vietnam war and the damage of the senseless killing of people and racism and, you know, love and peace really were our objective. You know, what happened to the changes we waited for love to bring, as Jackson Brown would say. And, uh, and then I see this guy making this movie where everyone's getting the shit beat out of them and, you know, baseball bats. And I'm like, wait a fucking minute here. I thought we were anyway. I had no business trying to tell the guy how to make his movie. And I obviously. Yeah paid for it and uh now you I'm can't judge other movie. people's art you know it, art is a whole other thing and i always say movies is the most expensive art it's the most magical art form you're literally making dreams come to life mm. but it's also the most expensive art form and when you're mm. doing a big budget movie you kind of see as you get older oh there needs to be somebody in charge yeah it's gonna go really wrong <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, yes. But I also can see from your aspect, as from your aspect, there was a turn in the '70s where people were like, "Fuck peace and love," and it was the kind of the same time where cocaine yeah. kind of came in as well. And I kind of come from not to go Jesusy, but but just like turning the other cheek seems like the fucking craziest thing. It seems like even the most acid thinking thing. It seems to be the most psychedelic thing that we're right. all one organism. And I'm literally, you, you know, you and I are the same thing and we're just yep. living different lives and experiencing different things, different ways. So we learn more as one organism. Mm -hmm. But there was a seem to be a, in the seven, I don't know what it happened, but it seemed to like switch the other way. And the Warriors, mm -hmm. Death Wish, uh, Taxi Driver, just like we went to the darks of subconsciousness uh, which is kind of exciting and good arts there, but what we came back with, this is really violent imagery. Yeah, I would say that it switched over right around the advent of Ronald Reagan and, yeah. you know, trust but verify and all, all, you know, which, you know, had, he was not my favorite president, um, you know, but he was also an actor like yourself. That's what yeah. trips me out. Like he went on the same ride as we did, but in the 50s when it was even a more crazier, like to be a movie star in the 50s, isn't that when Ronald Reagan was at the height of his power, would you say? Yeah. I mean, he was always kind of a B-rated actor, but yeah, was, you know, he was decent. He was trained and he knew what he was doing. Um, he wasn't horrible, but he used that power, as did Hitler, as did Trump. As did Trump. They, they used that, you know, you can take a little bit of acting skill and you can turn it into a monster. You know, I mean, all Hitler really could do was act. He could, he was a terrible general, horrible <laughs> politician, the most awful human being to ever walk the earth, except for Stalin that we know of. And yet he could get up on those you know, beer, beer halls and stand on the table and act, get people to grab people's attention. Yeah. You know, I study Hitler. I mean, I I've read two biographies of him. I'm fascinated by him. He took a little bit of power and he turned it into a nightmare.
Yeah, complete nightmare and a complete ride of the ego. I think anybody like Lao Tzu is like anybody that says they know what it all means doesn't know. You know, exactly the people right. that know keep their mouth shut and That's they right. just and the most enlightened people are probably changing your tire or pumping your gas. They could very well be. You know, it's not I don't think it's the most famous people or even the most powerful people. I, you know, like the president, when it became this big showbiz rock star thing is when I think it went wrong. The president should be like the manager of a restaurant. You know, he's just <laughs> he's just making sure like the waiters aren't too coked out. He's just talking to the right. cooks in the back. If somebody <laughs> spills something, he's nice and buys drinks for everybody. That's, that's funny. That's the fucking role of the president. The president isn't this ultimate look at me. I'm going to solve everybody's problems. Right. It's like, no, dude, you, you're there to run this shit that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. We've got it all backwards. I mean. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it seems backwards, but life has a way of working out. And I think it does. It does. In nature, you see nature just keep on crawling. Whether yep. we're going to be here or not, nature's going to keep on going, you know? The Whether sun it's the will rats never disappear. <laughs> or the roaches or the, or the, or, or right. the monkeys, whoever takes it next. Uh, yeah. You know, because we're, you know, it, it, I think global warming is going to start stepping up and I think we should do something. But I think I still have hope. And I still, you know, I don't, I know it's not up to me. My me is just to be kind to everybody else and keep it moving and try to do what's natural, you know, mm, mm. which is and making you do music. a very good job of it. Oh, thank you. You too, Thomas. Uh, tell me about your band. Sure. And tell me about so, your music. Okay. So I'm a, I consider myself an apprentice musician because the people I play with are so far superior but I am a good songwriter and I can sing uh you know I sing my songs and uh you know they give me great satisfaction and they seem to bring happiness to other people and I'm trying to uh you know focus more on that aspect of my life um in point of fact i'm directing a film in may and uh i've already written the opening song to the credits for the opening shot and uh i'm gonna lay down the rhythm track to that tonight so music for me is like the hardest of all the arts the most to really be good even to be a good rhythm guitar player takes so many hours of practice yeah. for me i'm really slow at learning but i've got something exactly. to say you know i got i have a perspective and i have something to say and i've got to get it out i'm like a beaver right a beaver has these big teeth and if he doesn't chomp wood his teeth are going to grow right down into his stomach so <laughs> I have to chomp wood. Yeah, chomping. No, dude, with with the Spotify and the internet and all this stuff. Like yeah. I got I got cousins that could play the shit out of music that are great musicians and artists, but I think in the 70s and 80s, like if you didn't make it through the mainstream way, they're just you weren't doing it. Now it's like, dude, it's on you. You know, yeah. if you yeah, got a tune inside of you and you got a couple friends that kind of know what they can do with computers, it's uh you could figure it out from there. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
yeah. I mean, when, when we're going to be able to gather again to hear a live player, I mean, I hope it's sooner rather than later, but yeah, it's really been, so, you know, I have that. And, and as I mentioned, I'm directing a film called target that I wrote in May. I'm raising the money for it now. And, um, Cool. It's uh, yeah, it's really it's coming along well. I mean, people believe in me and believe in the script. And um, I also have my acting studio, you know, which is I where want to I get the TGW acting studio. Everybody listen. This is this is American classic actor that you could take acting lessons and he uh, which we all do, whether you're in the arts or not, if you got a gig in this, a lot of comedians listen to this podcast. So if you got a oh, gig, good. you got an audition uh, and you want to you want to learn acting from one of the warriors, I'm going to hook you up. Thomas <laughs> G. Gates, uh, uh, Thomas G. Waits, TGW Acting Studio. Check out the website. He explains it all there. And uh, yeah, man, I know uh, it's really good. I, I, I work with a lot of comedians because you know, and Robin was a comedian in the beginning. Yeah, and Thomas I, was I roommates watched, with Robin Williams, just to tell the listeners, because I don't know if I, that part was recorded in the beginning. Right. Well, watching them break down his compulsive need to make people laugh and find the truth made him even funnier. Yeah. Because you got to tell the truth or people won't listen. People Whether you're making you're a joke. Shit. Yeah. yeah, I mean the truth is that the truth is like a magnet. Yeah, you know, in every crazy joke, you know, a guy was walking down the street and a brick safe fell on his head. You know, I, I mean, whatever happens in the story, as long as you feel it's true. And so, what I do is, I use the classics to try to get people more in command of language at first and understanding of how broad and vast one's vocabulary can be and still holding the attention of an audience. And then I gradually work them into contemporary material. And uh, it's quite good. We're doing it all on Zoom now on Monday nights, seven to 10. And you can just email tgwactingstudionyc at gmail.com if you want information about it. That's tgwactingstudionyc for New York City at gmail.com. And, um, and sit in and watch a class for free. You know, the, the worst that can happen to you is you might learn something. And if you like it, you know, join. And if I like you, I'll let you join. And if you don't like it, the worst thing, like I say, that can happen is you may learn a word you've never heard before. <laughs> yeah, man, it's an experience. And uh, I, I recommend you to everybody. And I'm definitely the next role. I, I did send in something for this television show, Bull. Have you heard about this thing? Yeah, sure. Uh, I just said, I did a little... Uh, so eventually if I get a part, I'm coming to you, Thomas, to help run some lines. Cause I'm a comic at the end of the day, you know, I've, I was always a standup that I got some opportunities to do some acting that I would like to pursue more as well as music. I have a music project that I'm lifting off right now. And this podcast is a lot of fun too. Uh, so yeah, I, I can definitely it. help you uh, with any auditions. I mean, you know, the great thing about being in my classes, it's 250 for four classes. But if you have an audition in That's the middle awesome. of the week, I don't charge you any extra. And you come over to my apartment and I coach you on the audition. And let me tell you, you go in prepared. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, how many? I, I didn't watch. Uh, I, did, I haven't. I think I saw Justice for All when I was young. 
Mm. And I didn't get to it, but that you were, you, how many scenes, did, how many did you do with Al Pacino? Like how intense? Well, I did four. Well, first of all, to backtrack, I was on stage with Al for a year in a three character play called American Buffalo. So, uh, and then I did Richard III That's with him heavy. before that. So yeah, I worked at Al a lot and we did that movie first um, in Justice for All. There were four scenes and uh, Al said, you know, if they hadn't cut that fourth scene in the hospital where he comes to visit me, uh, I would have been nominated for an Academy Award. That They're his words. Um, but it was amazing because when I saw The Godfather at 16, I became Al Pacino. You know what I mean? I, I never was more enthralled by a presence in my life. And little did I know that in less than seven years, I'd be working with the guy. I'd be friends with the guy. He'd be calling me up saying, hey, do you, hey, kid, do you want to check the call? Yeah. <laughs> Just you and Al giving, yeah, giving you a go, go out to grab some coffee. I just uh, I call the garage, you pick it up, you know, I'll meet you up there. <laughs> right, take it. He, he was, it was like having a great big brother that had, that is obviously one of the great American actors of all time and a very sweet man and a very compassionate man. He was the first one to notice my drinking and you know you're 25 you have chicks coming at you you've got money you're i had a loft and so and you know a lot to deal he with. noticed that i i had been you know i was hung over and he didn't make any big deal out of it he didn't you know preach to me he just said so you like to drink huh i'm like you know pretending like i don't you know we lie about it yeah Oh, yeah, a little bit. He's like, yeah, I used to. If you ever want to hear my story, I'm happy to tell it to you. Like, that was all he said. He didn't make any, you know, let me take you to, didn't make any, it, was, it wasn't dogma. It was just, I had that problem too. And fortunately for me, he said I would have been in the gutter if I didn't stop. He could relate to you and you're both young actors and he knew the pressure in the excess, it's just hard to handle. It's and hard, man. That's hard, but it's cool that you have a friend like that. Yeah, it, it was great. And I still keep in touch, he's very gracious. You know, I, I wish him happy birthday every April 25th. And, you know, I invite him to things and his assistant gets back to me and says, Al, you know, it's really happy that you're, that you've, I wrote a musical that, uh, you know, I'm trying to get off the ground. and. He's really happy to hear you're doing this. So I work out of the actor's studio a lot. You know, he's just, an, he was the first person to also, I never would have thought of directing or teaching, but he's like, you know, you're a natural born leader and you need to know that about yourself. And that's sunk in and I am. And I'm a good leader. A you good are. Leader. You're a great teacher. I saw you conduct your class. The the how I met right. you. You saw me at Caroline's with yes. W. Kamau Bell, who I started out with. Who's like my good like that's another guy that I used to share sandwiches with. Mm -hmm. And we started out in our twenties, and now he's on CNN every night. <laughs> amazing, but amazing. And he he'll return my call, but at the same time, sometimes he doesn't because I know how busy these cats are. Yeah. Like when the yeah. heat's on, the heat's on. So I'm just think it's a beautiful thing that you still have this relationship with Al Pacino, and that 
if a guy like that return like has his assistant tell you those things or you know tells you let's hey look let's hang sometime yeah uh, it's a cool, yeah. cool thing man yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with Tracy Morgan. I text rap videos. We do, I love hip hop from the '80s, and he can't be more hip hop. New York early hardcore Bronx hip hop. He knows everything. So all we do is you know tweet videos back, uh, text videos back and forth Funny. to each other. And uh, no, I can tell you, I felt the same way. I used to look at Tracy Morgan like I used to see his sketches on SNL, and like there's no way I would ever know that dude. And then 10 years down the line, I'm on a private jet going to go gig doing open form, doing gigs and shit. You know, it's just like. Well, there's proof. Both stories, mine about Al Pacino, yours about Tracy Morgan, who's a great comedian. Um, there is living proof that if you dream it, if you conceive it, you can achieve it. If you have the discipline and the desire they're the two key ingredients. You got to really, really want, you know, I say to people, look, don't get into this. If you think, oh, this would be, a, this is the You kind of want it. it. You sort of want it. No, you got to go all in. It, that's this what's kind of a hobby. It's an all in war, man. It's, it's a right. art is a, is a all in and it's commitment. As you said, with Bruce Springsteen, is Bruce Springsteen the best guitarist in the world? Is he the best songwriter in the world? but he had full commitment. He went harder than everybody else. And by doing that, like it just, that passion, that love kind of spills over into good art. If you, if you just let it breathe a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I think he's an underrated guitar player actually, but he is a great leader. Yes. And, and he's the greatest live actor I've ever seen on the stage. I mean, the guy he's on, fire <laughs> he, he's possessed you know and then he does it you know he, he he does it from a very spiritual place but it's proof look he was starving and homeless and living under the boardwalk even after he got a record deal what's a record deal it's just your own money they're just loaning you money <laughs> until know, you pay it back scam. there's no great i almost had a record deal back in the 80s and i'm like wait a minute what is this you give me money, then I got to give it all back to you and with interest. And that we're going to shoot a great video, Tom. I got the best director. The videos yeah. all going to cost $200,000. We're going right, to put it on right. the back end. Don't worry. We're going to put right. it on the back end. You won't have to worry about this until you're 60. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. yeah. These right. guys are in debt. Like, yeah, these huge RB acts, huge hip hop acts are like completely in debt. And some CEO is just loaded off of these. Oh, yeah. 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 It's a scam. You got to watch it out there. You got you got to be careful. That's why it's good to have people that have experience. You know, and I say to my students all the time, look, talk to me before you say yes about a job. You know, I may know the people I may not. I may they may be I can at least find out for you. But before you get in a situation that's going to be uncomfortable for you and not good for your reputation, come and that's experience, you know. You can't replace experience. 45 years it. as a professional actor, it's like, hey, come on. I must have learned something. You, you know? do. You have, <laughs> you're, you're too kind to do this podcast. You're too nice to even, uh, uh, your time is so, thank you, Thomas. I just want to, before we get out of here, because I have you, can we talk about the thing for five minutes and then we're sure. done? 
because sure. it was such a cool looking film. I know yeah, it, was, it was. And, and I did get high for it in the violence, in the grossness. <laughs> you go out hard. <laughs> you go out hard in both films. The Warriors, you get thrown into the tracks. And then the thing, I don't want right. to ruin it for everybody, but yeah. Uh, tell, what was the thing about? What do you think the thing was about? Well, the thing was about um, an alien being that landed from somewhere in outer space that had the ability to uh, get inside a human being and take over their mind and body and infect others with the same power so that they eventually would take over the planet. And maybe, I guess, one can surmise that their planet was running out of space or whatever, so they sent somebody down here to get it started so they could take over Earth. I think that's the general premise of it. That is and the general John, premise. You know, I might have been high and was listening to it. I was thinking about COVID and I was thinking about Fox News. So I was kind of, yeah, I had right, it all right. discombobulated, but you're right. It's literally about a spaceship lands. There's an alien that's frozen. These guys are all in the Arctic. It's like 12 dudes, but a great cast, man. It's a oh, small great cast. cast. It's yeah. like 12 guys. It's like all 12. It's like a classic 12 man cast and you're in the yeah. Arctic. And yeah, tell, who, who are all the other actors just for the oh, listeners? Great bunch of actors. Keith David. Yes. You know, uh, terrific actor. Uh, he and I had also gone to Juilliard together. He was a couple years behind me. We used to get, get stoned in the <laughs> stairwell together. Good. <laughs> oh my God, we had some less. So all of a sudden he shows up on the set. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Are you Where are you doing? shooting? Is this Vancouver, Canada? We we shot most of it in LA on a soundstage, but we spent two weeks in Hyder, Alaska. Oh, cool. I've done gigs in Anchorage. Alaska's trippy, man. Yeah, man. This was really out there too. And oh and God. you know, Peter Maloney, Joel Polis, uh you know, Richard Dicehart, Donald Moffat, uh, T.K. Carter, every one of the actors, Charles, not, um, I always say his last name, Charles Naughton, yeah. Um, <clears throat> he passed. He was a great guy, great actor. Uh, there wasn't one woman in the movie. I noticed that. A rubber yeah. doll. And the <laughs> the studios were really on his case. They're like, Universal was like, look, you gotta put him a woman in this movie. He's like, no, it's about these 12. And John lost a tremendous amount. There's a book called Prince of Darkness. And it's about how John's career was escalating. And because the thing got so many bad reviews, he lost a lot of work and, uh, but he stuck to his guns and made the movie that he wanted to make, cut the movie that he wanted to cut. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of person he is. He's, he's a real leader. He, he cares about his people. He's, you know, he's firm, and, but he's just, he makes it so much fun. And Kurt Russell is a, he's a pisser. He, this guy loves to laugh. Yeah, he okay. seems like his the opening scene, if anybody knows, is Kurt Russell playing, it's weird, he's playing chess on a computer and they're in the right. Arctic 
and he the the chess the computer beats him so he takes a scotch whiskey and t- pours it on the computer and he's like fuck you and just like walks away and the thing's like smoking like i thought that was a great opening scene for that yeah character. yeah and i well, thought how I- you guys were shot i thought who did, whoever did your wardrobe you had the coolest wardrobe of them all is Thomas's characters was Windows, uh, and you were on the mic. You were you had a microphone. You were the person that was uh, getting the message. The radio operator. Yeah. yeah, the radio operator. But you had like some beads, and you had some sunglasses, and you had an afro. Yeah. It was a uh, dude. Anybody, please check out the stand. But I, you're right. Like I would could see the studio being like, yeah, we just want a horror movie. And he kind of came out and he did this like existential, like. Yes existential heavy deep humanity film about yeah. it was a, it to me it felt like it's about paranoia paranoia and then the loss of soul like the sense of like this alien things that come over that we can't even equate to being good or bad or whatever mm. that just take over these people and they're not the same people like they're just kind of this demonized weird thing like it seemed to me like a there was something about the soul of being whatever a real human is. Mm. Uh, what is what is being a real human? You know, there was a mm. there was a couple existential thoughts. So I thought it was done on a really high level, and such a film just to be a part of that is amazing, Thomas. It is amazing. I, I got to name the character Windows. I mean, his name was John Simmons. That's a cool name. I think Windows is a cool nickname. It's a man. really cool name, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have these green sunglasses because I was in L.A. And I, I'm a New Yorker. And I'm driving around L.A. and I couldn't see a fucking thing. That's, uh, so I got these really cool green sunglasses somewhere for five bucks. And I started wearing them to rehearsal and keeping them on. So we did a rehearsal and I go, John, I want everyone to call me Windows for now. <laughs> and he goes okay all right everyone tommy wants to be called windows from now on so we'll call him windows so they're the they're like windows windows, windows. it's so it's so bizarre and 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 you know what a and, cool and director to do that though to be like that's the kind of director that's what i mean i mean if he didn't want it it wouldn't have happened yeah you can't change your mind about something like that halfway through but he you know he he listens to his actors he's a smart director and kurt's name was mac so this is 1981 and you had mac and windows before they even existed <laughs> Wow, that's some deep foreshadowing. Yeah, I like that. that. Yeah, it was Mac and Windows, computers. Yeah, it had, there is something intelligent going on uh, with that film that's, I can't put my finger on because in one sense, it's like this gross out horror movie, but on some other ways, it's like this really well acted, you know, piece about humanity. It's wild. Yeah, yeah, he had great actors. Richard Mazur, I mean, Every actor was top shelf theater actor and rehearsals were incredible. The rehearsals were almost, I wish someone had filmed them. They were almost exciting, as exciting as the actual movie because we brought so much life to it, you know. And, um, and John treated us well, you know. He, 
I don't know how to describe him. He, you know, he's not like a gregarious person or an outgoing person. He's very introverted, but he's extremely smart. And he's kind. He's tough, but he's kind. And um, smart people are empathetic thinkers. And that's what I, I, I would I would say that's true. Smart people are empathetic thinkers, and we need more of that in the yes. world, let alone in Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood politics. Yeah, you just we at this time, it that's not it. it a strong man is about being empathetic, and it takes strength yeah. to forgive and understand. You know, yep. some people come from a weird place, and you can't really judge, and you got to keep it moving. But yeah, art is a collaborative thing, and that's what's hard about being in bands or doing comedy. Mm -hmm. And a good director will listen to the actors and like, mm -hmm. at least like for him to give you that decision, first he thought about it mm -hmm. and then he gave it to you, which I thought mm -hmm. was really cool. You know, it wasn't like- not And I think it makes a big difference in the movie. I, I, I just think but, that these people are so whacked out up there in this, in the Antarctic with nothing to do. They probably just play games, like made up names for one another and- um. Yeah, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, they, they treated us really well. And, you know, for back then, I was making a lot of money as a young 26-year-old kid and um, having a the major ball. film. And, and all the beautiful women in California. Oh, my God. I thought, <laughs> I'm, I'm in heaven here. Yes. And because I was working, you know, I was like a hot commodity. If anybody wants LA, if you're a working actor, because there's so many people that aren't working, you immediately just by having a job, you get the juice. But if you're on, <laughs> if you're on a major studio thing, like everybody yeah. knows what kind of money you're making, everybody wants yeah. your job. So all the yeah, yeah it's it, it yeah, that's a tricky world to get in. You're lucky yeah. to be alive, Thomas. You really I am. are to go through I the am. 70s and 80s and fame. You probably had the super agent, you had the whole thing, and it's just a hard thing to navigate, but now you're back in New York. I just wanted to plug your acting studio because I also wanted to tell, what I've heard on the street, the best actors come from New York because mm -hmm. of Broadway, because of the mm -hmm. stage, because, because there's of the so stage. many different gigs. Yep. Um, and if you are in New York, you've got to check out Thomas G. Waits acting studio. If you're interested in showbiz, if you want to be a director, if you want to be a comedian, yep. it's only four classes and you're going to get exposed to something that isn't like anything else out there. This is an authentic New York, classically trained film actor that you're learning from. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. I enjoyed spending time with you, mate. Thank you for spending time with me. We're going to sign off, but let's, let's give a nice, beautiful sign off to Clark Middleton which is the yes. song we're going to play. Talk about your boy, Clark Milton. So I, I'll just give it, Thomas G. Waits, he's an actor. He came up, he has friends that are also cool actors. And Clark Middleton was in Twin Peaks. He was in Kill Bill. He was in Birdman. He was just, he seemed like he had all these great roles and he was a kid from the South. Give a, give a good sign off to your boy, Clark. Yeah, Clark, a, a lot of us complain about our circumstances this guy was afflicted with a serious case of arthritis that stunted his growth he had his hips replaced his knees replaced his shoulders replaced his elbows replaced he was like the bionic man this poor guy and yeah. i was with him for two of those operations 
And when I was really down and out, who was there to reach out and help me find an apartment but Clark Middleton. And, and that's because we had done a play 20 years earlier and all that pain, all that suffering. And he, always, he was always like, hey man, how you doing? How's it going? And he always had this uplifting personality. And then he, he started to become super successful and he was working all the time and just doing great. And he was a great friend of mine. And uh, I wrote that song for him to say goodbye because uh, real people are there when you're at the bottom. When you've lost every friend and your wife and your kid, when you got nothing and yet somebody's still willing to be there for you, that was Clark. That's a, a real friend. That's more than so, any money in the world. That's more than any riches is to have somebody when, right. they, when you can't do anything for somebody and somebody still shows you love. That's true love. That's exactly right. And I couldn't do shit. I was broke as a joke and I lost everything all because of my alcoholism. But he was, you know, hey, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> man, I'll try to get you in my building. Come on up. And uh, looking out for you. Know, yeah, looking out for me. He, he, anyway, um, I hope you enjoy the song and thank you for playing it. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for being on the podcast. My love goes out to Clark Middleton and all his family and just all the artists that are out there. And uh, this one goes out to Clark. We'll play your song, Thomas. Thomas G. Thank Wade, you, thank you for being on the Cannabis Coffee Hour. My pleasure. Thank you, Rob. All right, brother. Peace, love. See you later. See you later. He was a man like no other Responsibility, second nature He had a talent, a golden power A man of his size, he wielded stature He was my friend, he was my brother Came up in New York City together Clark, he was the man you would remember Clarky was a man like no other Clark, you know I'm gonna miss you Clark, you know I'm gonna miss you Clark, you know I'm gonna miss you I'm gonna miss you real bad I knew him when we was down in Lemon iced tea clocky, baby Dunkin' Donuts, a little bit of everything Because Clark, you know I'm gonna miss you Clark, you know I'm gonna miss you Clark, you know I'm gonna miss you
many times a man lives and dies All in one single life Just remember wherever you are Clarky, gonna send my angel boys up there Because Clarky know I'm gonna miss you Clarky know I'm gonna miss you Clarky know I'm gonna miss you Clark, you know I'm gonna miss you.